Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the You Love and You Learn podcast. I'm so happy to be here tonight with a special guest, Christine Earthheart. She is the founder of the Center for Thriving Relationships, where she, along with her wonderful husband, help couples transform conflict, deepen connection, and create the kind of love they have always wanted. Combining both the heart and science of relationships, they offer renowned weekend retreats, online courses, and private sessions to clients around the world. They also developed the Thriving Relationship Coach Certification Program, where they train others on 50-plus signature tools and formulas to create powerful, repeatable, and predictable breakthroughs for couples. Christine is also the host of the Thriving Relationships Show, a TEDx speaker, and an enthusiastic believer in what's possible in love, which that warms my heart. The Center for Thriving Relationships has been featured in Psychology Today, Happify, Thrive Global, NBC, ABC, and CBS. Learn more at centerthrive.com. Christine, I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you so much, Sarah. Such an honor and joy, and thanks for all you do. Mm, You're so welcome, and I really enjoyed being on your podcast most recently, and I'm so glad we've gotten to spend this time together, and I think that the You Love and You Learn community is just going to learn so much from you, and so I'm really excited for everyone to hear a little bit more about your story. Uh, And to that point, I'd love to hear you, just for those who may not be familiar with you, share a little bit more about your story because it really inspires me. I admire your relationship and, you know, I'm in a six-year relationship. I believe you said you and Brett are at 20 years now. And so that is just so inspiring for me to see and especially knowing a little bit what we've talked about, about how there was work in order to get to those 20 years. So do you mind sharing a little bit more about that? I would love to share. Thanks for asking. And thank you so much for being a guest on on our podcast. You were amazing. So definitely check that out, everyone. Sarah was so wonderful. Uh, So yeah, Brett and I, two decades now. And well, I'll actually go to before we even met, uh, Brett and I both were writing journals to this person that we would someday meet. And so when we when we actually came together and discovered that, it was just a pretty magical beginning. And I found myself just feeling at home in a way that I never had before. So magical in some ways. And of course, relationships don't need to start that way. But there was a, kind of a spiritual element uh, to it. And I just felt so seen and heard. And uh, I was also on this real kind of solo adventure. And so I still, we, we met and then I took off and traveled in Asia and moved to California and he was living in Indiana. So we had a long distance relationship for a bit of time and uh, still it was really wonderful. We'd meet up and have these really incredible connecting times together. And I eventually um, moved to, we bought a house together and he has a son. We now have a son together. Uh, He was five at the time. And so we suddenly own a home and we're parenting our five-year-old son. And we both came from different perspectives on parenting and finances and kind of our differing levels of how clean we wanted the house and all the things, right? And so it was really just soulful in the beginning. And we both had been kind of longtime meditators and had done lots of personal growth. And so I thought, oh gosh, my nickname growing up was actually Tootalooer because I just kind of went with the flow and relationships are so uniquely humbling because I was this kind of go with the flow person. We both saw ourselves as very kind people and yet entering into relationship, living together, all those things and not having the tools. Like we had done a lot of personal growth, but relationships really require a unique skill set, as you know. And so I would have thought that I would never be someone that got into like arguments about things like the dishes, but there we were, (laughs) you know, like little things started becoming big things. And we had lots of wonderful moments, of course. Uh, and we also would get cut, caught in these sort of repetitive patterns. And it's like, okay, here we are again, having the same conversation and just wondering if we were too incompatible, too incompatible if our differences were too great. And so uh, a few years in on a night, I'll never forget, we were sitting on the couch and turned and looked at each other and realized like our relationship was no longer bringing out our best. Again, we had lots of wonderful moments. It wasn't just challenging, uh, but we thought 
I don't know, aren't relationships supposed to be so much easier than this? That's kind of what we thought, you know, our blueprint around love, like, well, if it's meant to be. Uh, and so we realized that night that we had three different options. We could either just kind of keep doing things how we'd been doing them. And we thought, okay, we could just kind of hope that maybe we'll find the way, but we also realized chances are we're probably going to end back up you know, in the same situation, again, having the same conversation we'd had so many times, um, or we could just bless each other on our separate paths. And, you know, that felt deeply sad. And we also, you know, we're like, okay, maybe we just need to trust that this just, we can't experience kind of our greatest life together. And then we thought the other third path was for us to really dive in and learn everything we possibly could about relationships, because we hadn't specifically done that. So, Fortunately, that night we decided to choose that third path. And that night, I wish I had a picture of it, but it was back in the day of like DVD courses and CDs. And we ordered this giant stack of them and we just devoted every Friday night. We called it conscious date night. And we would like always just learn and grow. And it was so utterly transformative. It was like the lights came on and we saw each other in a whole new way. We really learned the pathway um, to one another and to really experiencing this incredibly conscious loving, thriving relationship. We started attending different couples retreats and it was not our plan to, to like have this be our offering to the world, but it was so transformative. And we really recognize that it's in relationships, we come together for life to be easier and more enjoyable. Um, and we tend to experience so much pain and a lot of unnecessary pain. Part of challenges are inevitable and it's like the most beautiful, amazing thing. And then there's a whole nother layer that we just create so much unnecessary suffering. And so innocently, it's rarely like an absence of love or kindness or any of that. We just get, you know, triggers come up, everything comes to the surface. And so it, it set us out in a quest of like this incredible journey of growth and self-discovery. And um, we just powerfully committed to one another and to like, see what was possible. And once we learned what was possible, it was like, there was no turning back. And we realized we would have made like the biggest mistake of our lives uh, if we took kind of a freeze frame of that difficult moment and thought that it reflected the totality of who we could be. So um, we are we are now lifelong learners and just devoted to our relationship. And now we do this um, and share it with other couples. And it's just the most fulfilling honor to get to watch other couples find each other again and realize the love that's there, you know, mm. is, is love they can feel again. So yeah, 20 years in, and it truly is beyond anything I could ever imagine. It really um, you know, it's not perfect every single second. Um, and it's so, so deeply good. And I'm so grateful. Mm, that's beautiful. And as you know, or as I've spoken a little bit to you about part of the questions that come up in a lot of people in my community's mind is kind of in that micro moment where you were asking the questions of, well, how do I know if this relationship is incompatible or how do I know if this relationship is worth putting in the effort for or if I'm not listening to my intuition or what even is a healthy relationship? Is this person right for me? And a lot of these questions are unanswerable um, without kind of your own unique perspective and it's really unique to the relationship and the people in it and so walk me through a little bit of kind of where your head was at when you decided I do want to try to learn as much as I can and to grow with Brett instead of well maybe it's just not right and we should bless each other and let each other continue moving what was that decision like or did you have a lot of factors to think through just a little bit more about that would be really helpful yeah I'd love to share thanks for asking and and it is so unique of course to everyone and ultimately you know trust your beautiful heart and I will say like there were moments that I that I had that question like is this just my intuition am I ignoring my intuition to do this uh, and we both had questions it wasn't just one of us uh and so what we chose, our commitment was let's dive in and see what's possible here. And there's something now when we work with couples, that's really our invitation is you're not like, okay, I'm just going to commit indefinitely that I'm in on this relationship. It's, I think it's a little more um, accessible for our brains to think. So oftentimes when we're working with couples, it's kind of like 90 days. That's arbitrary. It could be, you know, less or more. Uh, and so that was for us. It's like, let's really dive in and see what's possible here. And then base our decision off of that rather than where we are right now. Uh, because we had just this little sense that there was more that's possible. And I think a lot of couples 
do, which is why it can be so confusing, you know, in those moments of like, I don't know, there's like, there are these threads of good, but there are also these really big challenges. And so if we had just tried to figure it out on our own, we may not have been able to like untie the challenges and really strengthen the good. But that's where like kind of learning the roadmap and the research of how to have a great relationship allowed us to realize like, oh my goodness, there's a way to navigate these and there are ways to really grow and strengthen what we really wanted. And so, so that I think is what allowed us. It was, it was a safe relationship. We knew it was someone that we could really trust and open our hearts to. And, and we were both all in on growth. And so that's huge. You know, if Brett had, I think if either one of us, I'll speak for me though, if Brett had been like, yep, you really need to go change. And I'm just going to sit over here and wait, you know, it may have been less appealing. And it was really both of us willing to take responsibility and look within and like have a growth mindset. And that's, you know, when working with couples, that's the number one thing that, you know, is kind of the green flag is are both people willing to, to grow and get curious about how to show up in a way that will um, be so more supportive for the relationship. And so I'd say that's the big thing is someone like willing to grow and take responsibility for their role in things and for improving things and um, just at least exploring what's possible. I love that. Exploring what's possible, not necessarily needing a guarantee, but just being willing to explore. And I love Carol Dweck's work on growth versus fixed mindset. You kind of alluded a little bit to it, but for someone maybe who's newer to that concept, can you explain more about what it means to have a growth mindset in a relationship and then how that contributes to a healthy relationship dynamic? I would love to. So, well, I'll just briefly say, you know, there's five predictable stages of a thriving relationship. So um, the romance stage, which doesn't have to look a certain way, but oftentimes, and then the power struggle stage or kind of when our needs feel like they're in opposition to each other. And then it's kind of making this commitment for 90 days or just to see what's possible. And then there's the growth of stage four, stage five is thriving, but that growth stage, there's two key questions that we really love. And the, the questions are, how am I creating this? Uh, and it's so liberating. I mean, I actually, that was so relieving for me to begin to look at rather than maybe thinking, Brett isn't listening to me, getting curious, like, okay, how am I communicating in a way that makes it difficult to hear me right now? Or how can I communicate in a different way, you know, that allows him to really receive what I'm saying in a way that he can really hear and so kind of how am I creating whatever it is? And it's not at all to then blame yourself. You know, almost all relationship challenges are co-created in some way. And this is like the best news ever because it's so discouraging. I think a lot of, you know, a lot of us, when we get to those difficult moments, again, so innocently, but it's easy to think, well, if my partner would just change, things would be so much better. And there's, of course, if we had a magic wand and could you know, mold our partner to be a certain way, but really that's not, you know, what we want because the differences are there to teach us. Um, but if we're just in that place thinking they have to change in order for me to be happier, we feel there's so easy to have despair. And so there's so much room, um, so many opportunities. And so, so that, how am I creating this? And then the second question is, what does this relationship need from me in order to thrive, or you could insert any word there in order to be healthier, in order to grow, in order to be more connected in this moment. Uh, so those are two things I think around growth and a willingness to take responsibility again, to kind of look at, you know, what are the strategies I've been using to get my needs met that might not be the healthiest strategies. And just to be willing to, you know, whether it's seeking, you know, coaching or counseling or reading a book or listening to podcasts or whatever it might be, just someone that's kind of there, like let's learn and grow together. And I realize I'm probably doing some things that I don't even know that I'm doing. Uh, and so just going into it with a whole lot of curiosity, mm -hmm. I think is really key. Yeah. That's really beautiful. One question came up in response to that, which is I sometimes find it hard. And I know many other people that I've talked to can find it hard to determine the fine line between when we want to take radical responsibility and really own our side versus when perhaps we are overly taking responsibility for either someone else's actions or we're maybe excusing someone else's actions because we worry that it's our full responsibility. And that ties into the concept of red flags a little bit, which I know 
is unique to everybody as well, but I'd love to hear your take on how to kind of decipher when you should be taking responsibility for a dynamic versus when red flags could be present. Because I know with anxiety, your mind can be on hyper alert scanning for red flags at all times. And so it can be kind of hard to parse out. So any thoughts on that would be great. Yeah, for sure. And you're so right. It's like that spirit of responsibility works really well in both people. I mean, it's such a wonderful way to live in so many ways, as long as we don't take like 150% responsibility, um, which really generous, empathetic people are, you know, more susceptible sometimes to doing. So I love that you acknowledge that. So, I mean, I would say that probably is you know, the biggest red flag would be if someone is just really committed to making their partner wrong, just committed to criticism and blame and the kind of, well, everything would be better if you would just do such and such. If a, if one partner is just more committed to, to that than to looking inside, then no matter how much responsibility the other partner takes and no matter how committed they are to growth, um, it's probably not going to be sustainable and it's going to feel really exhausting and they'll you know, keep kind of adapting to the one partner. Um, but yeah, having two people that do that, that's where the magic is. So I would say that that is definitely, you know, that's, that's what I would look for, for sure. If I was in that moment, it's like, is my partner, I'm willing to do that. Is my partner willing to meet me in that? And if they're not, um, that would be a little concerning. Of course, it could be if they're at least open to look at the fear, you know, there's usually just fear underneath that, um, yeah, we can be so afraid of making a mistake or that we're unlovable. Those parts of us are unlovable and so much shame and all of that. So at least if they're willing to, you know, crack that open, let a little light shine in there, um, then that's a good thing. Otherwise, yeah, no matter how much compassion we have for them and where that might come from, it could make the relationship a bit challenging. Mm, yeah, that's a great point. And I can even admit that I've been guilty of that before. And I think that's the hard part about, having relationship anxiety is that it can almost cloud your judgment and put a projection of blame onto your partner. But if someone is at least willing to hold the idea of, well, maybe I do have some of a role here without going too far and, you know, only taking responsibility, but just being curious about what is my role in this dynamic, it can be a really beautiful question, like you said, to get curious about. So, Thank you for adding that piece. I would love to, you know, continue with the theme of talking about healthy relationships because I think that it's extremely inspiring to hear that you were able to move through what I've heard you talk about as that power struggle stage and into a place where, of course, it's not 100% perfect, but things do feel good and you feel really grateful and to maintain that for two decades. So, before we talk about, you know, ways to build that thriving, healthy relationship, first, I'd love to do some myth busting. So what are some myths that either your clients bring to you or you used to think about what it means to either maintain or be in a healthy relationship? Yeah, such a great question. So, uh, well, I would definitely say, you know, that challenges are a sign that it's not meant to be or that it's just that that's kind of the dead end, you know, like, well, yeah, this isn't this supposed to be easy if we're if we're supposed to be together, or if we're soulmates or any of those things. And so I am a very positive, optimistic person, and I have never met a couple that stayed together long enough that avoided the challenges, mm-hmm. you know, unless it's just a short term relationship. And we kind of go from relationship to relationship. Otherwise, it is totally inevitable. And it really is that notion that conflict is growth wanting to happen. And it's just what we do with it. You know, we can allow it to perpetuate pain and create even more suffering and even more conflict, or we can really use it as a mirror, you know, to what's happening inside of ourselves and just kind of learn the tools to, to navigate it. So that challenges mean something like that. I mean, sometimes maybe it, it absolutely does. It just doesn't inevitably mean that. And that challenges are so normal and I mean, it's really incredible that two humans that are like so unique and have different personalities, different backgrounds, different perceptions and strengths and wounding all the thing that we come together and like oftentimes share a living situation and a whole life together, parenting, finances, all the thing. Like, it's like amazing. I mean, that is something to be really celebrated. And so of course, you know, we're going to have off days and 
relationships really bring to the surface, just any part of us that needs healing, you know, any unconscious parts of us, any fears. And this is just such a beautiful thing. Like the aim is not to have a challenge free relationship. Uh, and that's why we really have fallen in love with supporting couples and with our own relationship work. It's like, Ooh, what's coming up? Cause it's otherwise, I think it's really easy for to not, not even recognize those parts of ourselves. So I would say that's the biggest myth, which of course your work is, you know, you so based on this kind of premise in lots of ways. Uh, so challenges are wonderful. And, uh, then the other myth I would say is just that passion like stays alive in long-term love. If you're like in love with someone enough, instead of this is something to continually cultivate, like there's so many aspects to kind of passion and the spark that go beyond, you know, just wearing lingerie or whatever it might be like those different things to kind of like add the spark back that are lovely. Um, but there's so much more to it. And so, and then it can be really reignited and created. It's extraordinary what's possible. There are many clients that reach out saying they feel like they've fallen out of love. And that's one of my favorites is to really help people just lift all the, sometimes it is just the myths and the anxiety that's there. Other times it's just a lot of pain or resentment, things that have built up or, or old fears from there, but lots of things that stand the way and to kind of re-nurture the emotional connection and so many things. So that would be a big a big myth to bust is that passion just stays alive. If you're in love, like, oh no, it gets to be consciously created. And it's so common. It's like falling in love is so easy, but staying in love really requires nurturing. It's really kind of doing the actions that create the spark. Whereas when we first fall in love, the spark just kind of happens. And then we just naturally want to like do loving things. Uh, And so there is a, there is a path to feel that way again and what would be another? I mean, those are those are two really big ones. Um, compatibility, I think, is connected to this. But you know, thinking that I'm just either compatible or not, and how much compatibility can be created. Uh, it's really com- it's a really like an achievement that we have. Is how do we how do we become compatible? Brett and I sometimes people see us now and they are just like, oh my gosh, we're different. But like, I think our essence, people to see us as so harmonious, and I'm so grateful it feels that way. And we just as well could have been in constant tension because there's really distinct differences in how we kind of live our lives and manage different things. And so we've really consciously created that. And, and also people, you know, talk a lot about attachment these days, um, which is amazing. We are huge proponents of attachment theory. And then that's another thing that if it feels like there's insecure attachment in a relationship, that that is like a dead end instead of like, oh, secure attachment, we can create these things. So all the things that's really related to none of these things necessarily mean dead ends and they can really be consciously created and they kind of need to be. They don't just, unless you're really lucky, um, you know, hardly anyone does just like gets kind of this free pass that you just find the right person. And it's just easy for a lifetime. I haven't met that couple ever yet. (laughs) Yeah, Definitely. One thing you said was so beautiful. I want to repeat it. I think I'm remembering correctly. Conflict is growth waiting to happen. Was that what you said? Yes. Mm, That's beautiful because I know a lot of people, myself included, used to be very upset or triggered and I'm sure you see this all the time after or during conflict and the mind jumps to thinking things like well this must mean that I'm not with the right person or shouldn't I be arguing less if this is the right relationship or maybe your partner or you even said something in a tone that you regret or that didn't feel great in the moment when everything was in that heat in the moment and tensions are high and it's really hard to bounce back from that place without having a little bit of doubt flare up about the relationship. So I love that you kind of flipped that mindset on its head a bit by saying conflict is growth waiting to happen. And I'd be curious if you have one or two little tips if people are listening and they're conflict averse perhaps or conflict scares them. Maybe they saw it all the time when they were growing up or they never saw it. And so they learned that was not the right thing to do. So how does someone practice healthy conflict resolution if they don't really know any of that right now? 
Yeah, great question. And, and yes, I mean, it's so neat. So it is definitely kind of growth wanting to happen. And it's such a mirror because usually the very thing our relationship needs from us in order for the relationship to be better is the very thing that we need in order to be happier and healthier in mind, body, heart, and spirit as well. So that's, that's good news. And I would say it's so empowering to learn communication techniques. You know, I've found for me, because sometimes we just go into a conversation and, you know, we do our best. Sometimes it goes totally awry. Uh, and, and sometimes it's like we still kind of stumble our way through. There's actually really a formula, you know, for how we can communicate in a way that we both feel heard. So, you know, a lot of times people are afraid. It's like, well, one, looking at kind of our fears around conflict. Of course, there's so much juiciness there. Um it's so many fears, right? A fear that like maybe somebody will leave us if we express disappointment or that we need to confront things that we're really afraid to confront or um, that we'll lose ourselves. There's so many fears that come up. So I would say for sure to lovingly turn towards those fears and also just to become really equipped with communication techniques because um, a lot of times conversations will become two monologues where both people are sort of in their heads and not really hearing the other. And then conversations will escalate when we don't feel hurt, especially the more kind of delicate, emotionally charged ones where our voices will get louder. We'll use more words, talk over our partner or go in the opposite direction, kind of shut down, check out, leave the room possibly. And so there is a way. And so, you know, Brett and I, we've designed, it's called the relationship breakthrough process. And it's like these 11 steps to actually uncover what's going on underneath, you know, so often when we're in conflict, we just end up reacting to what's on the surface. And that's what really can get us just stuck in that repetitive cycle. And underneath the surface, there are like these beautiful, more vulnerable parts of who we are. So like these unmet needs and these, you know, kind of more tender parts of us that oftentimes predate the relationship and dreams that we've had that aren't being expressed and more vulnerable feelings rather than kind of those emotional jackets we wear, there's usually something much more vulnerable. So how to like uncover all of that and then how to actually hear each other in a way that goes right to our hearts and we deeply feel heard. So that would be my loving recommendation, whatever communication tool you learn, there are lots out there, um, but to really become empowered. And then it's like, oh, I have so much more confidence that when we have this conversation, I, I know how to show up for this other person in a way that they'll feel more connected and more deeply heard. And we'll actually get to a solution, like a win-win solution that honors us both. And that if I bring it up, I'll be able to communicate it in a way that afterwards I'll be like, yes, I actually articulated the different threads. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's, that's really big. That's beautiful. I know that we would not have any time to go over all 11 steps, but are there maybe one or two that would be quick that you would be able to just share with people to keep in mind? Like, let's say they just got into a disagreement and they just maybe want to do the first thing they can to try and reach back out and make a connection, even if they're a little intimidated. What's like one small thing that comes to mind as either maybe like a phrase they could use or a question they should ask themselves to kind of get that process started? Yeah, so happy to share. I would say there's even a positioning just to like position ourselves as allies and teammates. Like there's, you know, like when I'm working with couples, sometimes I even draw it out, like very often when we're in a difficult situation, it's kind of like, here I am, here you are. And the conflict is in the middle of us and to position ourselves. So like we're side by side and we're just looking at it together. Like we're allies and teammates and we're just getting curious together. Nobody's wrong. Like there's enough space for both of our perspectives, both of our feelings, it's really easy to think in order for my perspective to be valid, I need to make yours wrong. Totally understandable. And there's so much more space. And so that positioning is really helpful. And empathy is enormous, uh, you know, getting out of our own heads and dropping into each other's hearts. And so the listening element of it, I think just deeply hearing another before we jump in with our own perspective. When, when we feel really heard, our defenses tend to soften because we, even at an unconscious level, we begin to identify someone as like, oh, they're my ally in this rather than my adversary. So if someone's not hearing us, you know, again, this happens in a millisecond and oftentimes unconsciously we're like, oh, they're not hearing me. So I need to put my defenses up. This is an adversary here. I have to defend my position. I have to kind of guard my heart. Whereas if someone first really hears us, 
our hearts just like soften and open more readily. Cause it's like, Oh, you get me and you're here with me in it. Nobody's wrong. And now I can actually open up and be available for what you want to share, you know, about your own heart and your own experience. So I think curiosity, we talked about is huge. Empathy is huge. And um, also seeing each other's good intentions, I think is really, really important is, you know, oftentimes we have many intentions. It's not to be in denial that sometimes, of course, we don't have totally benevolent intentions. And in there is oftentimes a piece of something so beautiful and precious. We just long for connection. So often that's it. We're longing for connection to be seen, to be heard, to know we're loved, to know that it's all going to be okay. Uh, and sometimes we express it in a way that, you know, is a little rattling or jarring, uh, but to see underneath it, like, oh, they're just really longing to be loved and connected and heard right now. And to be able to see each other in that way, I think is um, so powerful. And I would say just talking about our fears, you know, when we're triggered and having those conversations that can be full of conflict underneath it, we're usually just really terrified. And sometimes I'll, I'll suggest it to someone. It's like, I'm not scared of anything, which is understandable. But if we dig a little deeper, there's some part of us that feels threatened, some beautiful need inside of us that feels threatened. And if we can, the more vulnerable we are, the more easily our partner can be empathetic. So there's so much more I could share there, but there's a few things. <laughs> That's beautiful. Yeah. And the other two things we were talking about as far as myths, you know, the first one was that having conflict is a bad thing. The second one is that passion is, you know, something that you just have the steady state of forever and you don't have to pour into it. And then the third one you mentioned was that you can't, you know, come closer together if you're feeling like there's incompatibilities in the relationship. So I'd love to just give one quick uh, tip, excuse me, for the second two. When it comes to cultivating more passion or just excitement again in your relationship, let's say that you did have a honeymoon phase or maybe your relationship didn't start off with a honeymoon phase and you're trying to kind of like cultivate one or maybe it feels like the honeymoon phase has been long gone and you're craving some of those initial loving feelings again, what would be one thing that someone could either reflect on or one action they could take to check in with themselves and take that responsibility? Mm, such a good question. So I love, so Emily Nagoski has done research on kind of this dual control model of our, this is specifically around our sexuality, but that we have actual brakes and accelerators inside of us um, when it comes, this would be specifically around kind of physical intimacy, but it, it makes it much bigger. So a lot of times when we're looking to reignite the spark or to feel more kind of closeness, we're just looking at these accelerators, which are the things that maybe it's certain kinds of music or just date nights or Again, the lingerie or like, what are the things we can do to like spice up our romance? Um, but then there's the break side and breaks are usually more of a um, kind of predictor of whether or not the passion will be alive. Like usually there's, there's at least one foot on the break and the break can be certainly fears and anxiety and stress. Stress is probably like the number one break, um, or it could just be a lack of emotional connection or not feeling the secure you know, attachment or a breakdown in communication or resentment that's built up and repair that hasn't happened. And those things put breaks on. And so it might be that, wow, there's actually a spark inside of me, but I've kind of lost touch with it because I override it because I actually have a break on. So usually a loss of desire to be physically close to our partner is much more often because of the break. Uh, and so I think that's just a, an illuminating, I'm so grateful for that kind of paradigm because it's a different way to look at it. Like, oh, wow, maybe it actually is in there. I just have the brakes on. And so I can't even access that part of me. And so that's once we just start doing the healing and repair work and start communicating new ways and feeling heard and connected all of a sudden, you know, it can feel like the, the pathway is open again um, for that to flow. So that's one, I'm happy to share more, but that's one little thing. Yeah. I love Emily Nagoski's work. And I thought that was so interesting as well. And I also love her insight about responsive desire versus spontaneous. And just quickly for anyone who hasn't heard a little bit about that, you know, there's a lot of people who find that they are more responsive. And so they need to be already experiencing a more intimate or pleasure based moment before they actually respond to that and want to continue. Whereas most people assume that they should be spontaneous in their desire. Like, oh, I just want to rip all their clothes off all the time. But I know that I'm 
definitely more responsive. And so that helped me feel less shame about not having as much outward desire or so I thought. Um, And it kind of made me a little bit more intentional about trying to like push myself to be a little bit more open, especially if Nate initiates, because I know that once we're kind of in the moment, I usually am like, that was awesome. Like, that was great. I'm glad we connected. So I think her work is awesome. And the book Come As You Are that she wrote for anyone looking to better understand their desire, it would be a great starting point. Yes. I love that you just mentioned that. I know. Shout out to Emily Nagoski and her amazing work. Totally recommend it. And it's so I think it just says that responsive, spontaneous desire. Like I think that it says so much. We could apply it to so many other areas of relationship, kind of like feeling just overall feeling in love, not necessarily sexually, but again, when we first fall in love, it's much more spontaneous. And then sometimes it's like, okay, I'm not feeling this wave of love towards my partner and I'm going to do something loving. And all of a sudden, like then the response of like, wow, I just did that. And I feel more connected now, like a wave of love did kind of return or, or expressing appreciation, you know, rather than waiting until I feel this moment where our heart is swelling with gratitude and then expressing it. It's more of like the response of like, okay, I'm just going to go ahead and text my partner or express some gratitude and like, oh, now I actually feel more grateful for them. So it's such an important switch to happen in long-term love, but it's so easy to miss because it's in the beginning, it happens just on its own spontaneously. And in long-term love, it's like the reverse, not waiting for the moment, just creating the moment. So, Mm. so glad you spoke to that. I love that being proactive instead of waiting for the feeling to come. I, I think that's really important. Last myth turned tip, if you will, of kind of the incompatibility piece, which I know is another question from a lot of my community members around, well, how do I know if we're incompatible? And you said a myth is that you're either incompatible or not. And maybe the flip side of that is that you can actually grow to be more compatible within the relationship. So what's one tip or consideration that you'd like to leave listeners for that category? Hmm, great. Thanks for asking. Well, I would say one of the most powerful shifts that Brett and I made is when we committed to creating a strength-based relationship. And basically what oftentimes happens is when we're first falling in love with someone, we see their sparkliest qualities. We show them our sparkliest, best qualities. And then the power struggle, we tend to begin focusing on like the reverse side of the same coin. So it really is a two-sided coin. And so for example, uh, you know, Brett, I fell in love. He was just like so easygoing, so laid back, so accepting and down to earth. I felt so at peace in his presence in a power struggle. You know, he doesn't maybe get things done as far in his advance as I usually like to do things in advance. Or, you know, he's like, oh, it'll, he just trusts things. So it's like, it'll all work out, you know, and I'm more wired like, okay, let's get all these things planned and in place. And, and so, and so when it was in a power struggle, you know, I created stress for myself around it. And then it became a power struggle, of course, for understandable reasons. This is just one example. And so when now in thriving relationship, I realized like, oh my gosh, the flip side of that very part of him is the part of him that just, he does deeply trust life. And things do just work out. And I've learned so much more about that. You know, my parents, who I love so dearly, they are incredible planners. Both of them, they usually have planned A, B, C, D, E, F, G, you know? So I grew up thinking like, okay, if I have all the plans in place, it'll all work out. And uh, it actually really fits my spirit. And I, I, I feel so free now. Like I really do just kind of trust, like it's amazing how things work out. Uh, and so it, it took me addressing the part of me that was, managing that kind of certainty outside of myself rather than just a deep inner trust. Uh, And of course, holding on to my strengths, but like really embracing that part of him and him embracing this part of me and, and leading with our strengths and, you know, the part of him that is so easygoing and accepting. And he used to work in the emergency department as a psychotherapist because he's so calm in like a chaotic situation. And I would not want him any other way. Uh, And so rather than having these continual expectations, you know, of him being a different way that just creates constant pain and frustration. And for, I mean, no fun for anyone, right? When we do that, it's like flipping it back over, realizing like, wait, there's an incredible strength here. How do we restructure our lives as much as possible where our strengths are celebrated? And so we could do this to absolutely any, it's like one of my favorite games to play. 
is when someone's like, okay, here's a challenge in myself or my partner. What's the reverse side of it? Because there is like, we can flip over, you know, any, anything. So someone that has, you know, more anxiety, you know, or maybe someone perceives as being more controlling or critical, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, there's usually a lot of sensitivity, a lot of empathy, a lot of attention to detail, really proactive, you know, like hyper aware of what needs to happen. It's like who I would want to plan my trip or really organ, like there's always something there and it's not to overlook. Of course, we have these more challenging things, but that notion of rather than just fixing what's wrong, grow what's strong. Mm -hmm. And so we're so committed to seeing each other through a strengths-based lens. And I just, my own practice is like, I always want to keep the challenging flip side of my strengths, like ever present, just to stay like humble and give him grace and keep his strengths like ever present at the forefront of my awareness. And so I think that's so big. And then you get to create balance together um, and much more harmony when it comes to rather than it being incompatible. It's like, wait, this is exactly what I actually would want. Yeah. I was smiling during that because that's an example I've used in my own relationship with many of my clients that Nate is very go with the flow, very trusting, you know, it's all going to work out. And I was just laughing when you said it always does work out somehow because (laughs) it's so true. Whereas I'm always like, well, what about this? I hope this happens or I need to think about this. And it's been really nice to just realize that someone else can have a different way of life and they can balance you out. And I love that you said instead of focusing on where there's room to grow and improve, focusing on what you already have and really nurturing that. Because at the end of the day, you know, there's always going to be a little bit of incompatibility. And it's kind of about, all right, well, how can I learn to accept this person and all of their strengths, even though there are some challenges? Yeah, you got it. Yeah, it's really in positive psychology. It's one of the kind of main teachings is that when we're in our strengths too, we feel we're more engaged, which is so important in a relationship. You know, if we're continually seen as, you know, our perceived weaknesses, it's like not very inspiring. Whereas when we're in our strengths, we're more engaged, we're happier, we have more energy. Like that's what we want to spend most of our moments of our lives in our strengths. So Mm -hmm. um, I love that. Thanks so much for sharing a bit of your story and relating to that. Yeah. And I waited a while into the episode to mention a disclaimer that I always like to give, which is especially when it comes to incompatibility discussions. But in general, Christine and I are talking to those who feel that they are in a healthy relationship, of course, all things considered. And that doesn't mean perfect, but it means that there isn't abuse taking place. And so I like to give that disclaimer because I know there's this fine line between encouraging people to work through it versus knowing if there is actually an unsafe situation. So just wanted to point that out. Um, one question to wrap up kind of this healthy relationship piece is, you know, thriving relationships is a big part of your world. That's the name of your coaching certification. It's the name of your business and the work that you do. And I love the word thriving. And I would just like to know, is there anything else that comes to mind that you want to share about what it takes to have a thriving relationship or what that word means to you in your work? Mm, yeah. Yay for the word thriving. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, so, so many different you know, aspects that we've talked about. And I will say just kind of this growing the good and really prioritizing our relationships. So a common analogy is like that relationships are like gardens. And so they're really, they're these living things, right? They're always either growing or dying and that's for all of us. So it's, nobody is immune to this. A couple could be together 50 years and it's a living thing. And so if we're not nurturing it, you know, we'll start to notice like some weeds will pop up and it's time to like do some of the weeding some of the pruning, plant some new flowers. And so just to be always really nurturing it. And so Brett and I, we, and we support couples around this is coming up with these kind of rituals of connection. So daily rituals and weekly rituals and, or bi-weekly, and then something that we're always kind of looking forward to. And so those have been real kind of cornerstones in our relationship. So Brett and I 
you know, are busy. We, it's like we both actually work together and yet, you know, our, our days are deliciously full. And so knowing that we have like a ritual of connection every day is so meaningful to know that no matter how busy we've been, we'll come together. And it's been different things over the years, but one of the most common things is that we do a gratitude ritual every day for each other, um, sharing things that we really appreciate about each other from the day. And it has been so profound and, you know, just scanning the day for things that I would have otherwise missed. It's so meaningful to hear from Brett, you know, those things that, that I didn't even know meant that much to him. That's really common in a relationship is that we stop doing things. It's like, oh, it doesn't really matter if I do it or not. They're still here. I don't really know. And so to know like, oh, that really is important to you. Okay. I can keep doing that. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes share kind of what we appreciate and what it meant to us. And it just, this does not take long at all, but really it's the appreciating Brett that I have found to be the most impactful because I can't believe how many things I think I would just overlook and miss. And I like fall in love with him all over again, doing that. So it can be anything. Um, we take a walk together pretty much every single day and really have that be not about logistics. And so it's like filling up, you know, this love account that every relationship has and every, really every interaction we have, we're either putting in deposits or taking out withdrawals. And, uh, so I think continually filling up the love account because when it's full, then there is just resilience without even trying to use tools. You know, like when we see someone again as like our ally and there's just this warmth and affection and fondness between one another, it's amazing how the little things don't become a thing because we're just kind of connecting. We give each other the benefit of the doubt. And so um, something that's like maybe 15 minutes a day and then a weekly thing. So as I mentioned, like our Friday night, all of our friends, our family, everybody knew like, okay, that's their conscious date night. You know, for years as we were really, really intentionally kind of growing our relationship. And even now we have a date night at least once a week and it's like sacred to us or we unplug, we don't have our phones nearby us and we do something where we're not talking about logistics. It's all about emotional connection. That's like the number one goal is to emotionally connect and hear like the deeper things going on inside of each other. So whatever that is for a couple, having something that you can look forward to. So no matter how busy the week is, you're like specifically growing your love. And we love doing intentional things during that. And then something to look forward to, which could be anything, mm. some trick or something a little longer. So that's one thing is just to, to stay connected and always be growing your love and prioritizing it. Yeah, that's beautiful. There's one question that I ask everybody to kind of close out our amazing time together. And this question is the theme of my podcast, if you will. So I want to ask what is one thing you have learned about love that you want to leave with our listeners today? One thing about love I've learned, I just like want to put my hand on my heart you know, I just find that it's a practice of coming home to the heart. You know, when I reflect on the challenging moments, it's so often that I was, you know, in my head and usually in some outdated story or misunderstanding or assumption. And when I can drop back into my heart, I can so much more readily access, you know, the heart of Brett or to anybody else. Um, it's like how to really an expression that we use in our, in our trainings is kind of wonder and look under. Um, so rather than reacting, the mind kind of reacting to what's on the surface, it's like when we can wonder and look under, which really happens in the heart of like, ah, oh, just like coming into communion with a heart underneath it all. It's like, it cracks my heart open. I find, you know, having sat in the most vulnerable, intimate spaces, such an honor with so many others. It's like, oh, those things that we can see as very unappealing or unattractive or repelling, you know, and other people, it's like, oh, actually underneath it in their heart is something so tender and so precious. And it's like, I can only uncover that when I'm in my own heart. And so it's like, a, it's a return to that. Um, so that's one thing that is, is just so beautiful, the power of the human heart and um, all of our hearts and, and what happens when we can find one another's hearts again. Yeah, I love that. And I used to even be confused by the expression, like, think with the heart and not the head. It's like I didn't grasp it, but I think that my interpretation of that, if I may add, I think it's so beautiful is that, you know, our head is the thing that's usually thinking in a fear-based mindset. And when we drop down to your point into more of the heart space, we can usually see a little bit more clearly. Some of those defenses fall a little bit and 
you know, we can usually see more of like the other human across from us instead of our projection of who this person should be and all of that. And so that's really what I've come to understand is that I actually see more clearly when I'm trying to think with a loving heart versus a fearful head. And so I think that's such a beautiful point. And I love that you shared that. So thank you so, so much for sharing your wisdom today. Aside from everyone heading over to Center for Thriving Relationships on Instagram or your website, what do you have going on? Where can people find you? Is there anything you would like to guide people towards that they can learn more about your work? Thanks for asking. I love what you just shared. So yeah, come find us over on Instagram. We're Center for Thriving Relationships. And like you mentioned, our website, it's centerthrive.com. And I too am um, so happy to be out in the podcast world now. So it's called the Thriving Relationships Show, which you can find on all the all the different channels and on YouTube, YouTube, and also on our website. And we, uh, you know, offer a variety of programs in, in person weekend retreats and online courses and coaching and counseling. And then we also have a thriving relationship coach certification program, which is what is really lighting us up these days. It's a six month program to really empower people who want to facilitate breakthroughs for other couples. So, um, Mm -hmm. our next group is starting here in about a month and just warmly welcome anyone to check that out on our website. If that calls to you to be a beacon of love for others. Yeah. Beautiful. And I just want everyone here listening today to at least one message I took from this conversation is that there's going to be moments in a long-term relationship where you're doubting things, where you're questioning things, or where maybe you're having misunderstandings with the person that you once saw as this like beautiful soul and then something changes and you're just in this space where you have to decide like, do I want to really lean in and try and grow or am I just willing to kind of let this go? And there's no wrong or right answer as you acknowledged, but when you do lean in and if you choose to lean in, there is a potential to move through those challenges and hardships and create that thriving relationship as you've shared so much about. And that's really inspiring for me to see as someone who, of course, has had her own challenges, if you will, at least opening up my heart and my relationship. And I think a lot of people listening can relate to that and seeing that it's possible to move through it and turn it around and just hearing the way that you talk about your relationship is so beautiful. So I really appreciate your time, Christine. Thank you so much for sharing everything you have today. And uh, it's so great to connect with you. Oh, my great pleasure. Thank you so much for everything you do and having me here. And thanks so much for everyone who joined us on this journey. Yes. Thank you, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Love and You Learn podcast. If you've been enjoying the podcast, it would mean the absolute world to me if you could rate and review the podcast because the more ratings and reviews there are, the more people that can hear this message. And it's really important to me to get this message out to the world and to create a space where people can learn about love and relationships in a way that is not judgmental, in a way that helps them expand their perspective from the cultural narratives that we've heard and seen in the movies and in Hollywood and the media. And the more ratings and reviews that are there, the more people that can hear this message. So thank you again so much. It really means the world to me that you are listening and see you in the next episode.